Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a quick and dirty tip about Apple, podcasts, and prepositions. An immediate middle full of intrigue and linguistics by Michael Cannell, author of the new book Incendiary, about the manhunt for a 1950s serial bomber. Let's start with a quick and dirty tip. Last week, Apple changed the way it talks about podcasts. In the past, we used to say, subscribe on iTunes. But when Apple launched its podcasts app on the iPhone and iPad a few years ago, that kind of didn't make sense anymore because many people weren't subscribing on iTunes anymore. They were subscribing on the podcasts app. So now Apple says I should ask you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, which makes me happy because it makes more sense. But what makes me super happy is that they also provided preposition guidance. They say, quote, refer to content on Apple Podcasts, not in Apple Podcasts, unquote. And this is great because either would be grammatically correct. So it's nice to have someone say, no, this is the way we want you to say it. It's a style guide. I've done shows in the past where we talk about how confusing it is, especially for people trying to learn English, that in some situations, multiple prepositions are correct. You can tell your friend you are in a restaurant or at a restaurant. You can talk with someone or you can talk to someone. And you can argue that there are subtle differences between those meanings, but in reality, people often use them interchangeably. Maybe I'm unimaginative, but I can't imagine anyone would argue that there's a difference in meaning between on Apple Podcasts and in Apple Podcasts. And I've had people ask before whether they should say something is on an app or in an app. So it's nice to have an answer. Thank you, Apple. And with that, I'll say please subscribe to Grammar Girl on Apple Podcasts. It's free and you'll always get the new show as soon as it's available. And now on to the meaty middle. Every perpetrator leaves evidence at a crime scene. Blood droplets on carpet. Fingerprints left as hidden oil patterns on drinking glasses. Clothing fiber on corpses. As fans of crime shows know, the forensic team's job is to find evidence and unlock its meaning. But evidence doesn't have to be tangible. Language also helps solve crimes. Detectives specializing in the growing field of forensic linguistics, word scientists, look for language in ransom notes, threatening texts, and other communications that may reveal the offender's identity or state of mind. They study cadence of speech, grammatical lapses, or terms associated with a specific region. Northerners tend to say faucet, for example, while Southerners say spigot. 
So if a ransom note demands that a bag of money be left by the spigot behind a warehouse, your kidnapper is likely a Southerner. In Michael Cannell's book Incendiary, about the Manhattan for a 1950s serial bomber, detectives noticed a small disparity in dialect that they hoped would lead them to the fugitive's neighborhood. The bomber made the bombs himself from ordinary pipes and other hardware. In canvassing plumbing outlets, the police found that New Yorkers call a short stretch of galvanized connecting pipe line pipe coupling. But north of the city, the same item was known as well coupling. The detectives therefore assumed that the bomber lived in a northern suburb because he called his pipe well coupling, like the northerners. But they knew little more than that. In desperation, they showed satchels of evidence to Dr. James Brussel, a psychiatrist with a particular interest in the workings of the criminal mind. Dr. Brussel noticed a reliance on awkward, old-fashioned phrases such as treachery and dastardly deeds in a handful of letters the bomber had sent to newspapers. The letters, he later wrote, quote, sounded to me as though they'd been written in a foreign language and then translated into English, unquote. So the bomber was probably foreign, but of what nationality? Detectives suspected the bomber was of German descent because of his vaguely Teutonic handwriting. His G's ended their circular form with an eccentric pair of horizontal slashes, like an equal sign. Dr. Brussel concluded the bomber was more likely Slavic after comparing his campaign to the prolific bombings of anarchists and other radicals in Eastern Europe. If the bomber was, in fact, an Eastern European who lived north of the city— he probably lived in Connecticut, where Slavic enclaves had formed around factories and mills. These conclusions drawn from the bomber's language and lettering narrowed the search window. A few minutes before midnight on January 21, 1957, detectives knocked on the door of a wan, middle-aged man named George Metesky. As Brussels predicted, Metesky was of Lithuanian descent and a resident of the industrial town of Waterbury, Connecticut. While searching Metesky's house, detectives found a notebook filled with handwriting that appeared to match the bombers. They handed Metesky a pen and asked him to write his name on a yellow legal pad. They watched spellbound as the familiar block letters appeared on the page. The G in George had the telltale double bars. Despite this early success, it took another 40 years for forensic linguistics to come into its own. In 1995, the New York Times and Washington Post published the notorious Unabomber's rambling 35,000-word manifesto. A social worker in upstate New York named David Kaczynski recognized the idiosyncratic phrasings and alerted authorities. In response, FBI linguist James Fitzgerald matched the language in the manifesto, the Unabomber's reference to African Americans as Negroes, for example, and his use of chimerical and other rarefied words, to letters and other texts written by David Kaczynski's estranged brother Ted, a math professor turned recluse. Forensic linguistics reached a new level of legitimacy when a judge accepted Fitzgerald's word analysis as caused to issue a search warrant for Ted Kaczynski's Montana cabin, where police found bomb-making materials. Today, forensic linguistics increasingly relies on computer analysis, as was the case in a recent literary riddle. 
The Cuckoo's Calling, a detective novel about a supermodel's suicide, was published in 2013 to respectable reviews, though critics noted that it was suspiciously polished for a first-time author. The book was written by a retired member of the Royal Military Police under the pseudonym Robert Galbraith, or so it was assumed until the Sunday Times of London received an anonymous tweet claiming that J.K. Rowling was the real author. The mystery novel now had its own mystery. The Sunday Times hired Patrick Uola, a computer scientist at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, who used stylometric software to compare word usage in the cuckoo's calling with the Harry Potter texts. The program considers millions of features, including most frequently used words and patterns of words used together. Writers can choose to express an idea with a few precise words or a bunch of common, general ones, Uola wrote in Scientific American. We're not even conscious of many of these choices. Most linguists would agree that we're unaware of the language habits or idiolects which identify us as indelibly as retina scans or DNA. Forensic linguistics is a growing field, as each of us leaves our idiolect in a lifelong trail of emails, texts, and tweets. Our linguistic fingerprints are everywhere. That segment was by Michael Canal, author of the new book Incendiary, about the manhunt for a 1950s serial bomber. I've fallen behind on the Where I Listen shoutouts, so I won't do them all today, but I've read them all and I love seeing them. Thanks to Corinthia, who listens while she swims in the mornings, and Rita, a girl who went to Catholic school and had a mother who loved to read the dictionary. She listens while walking the dog or at the gym. Hello to Aelmel, who listens in her free time, and Via Ramani, who listens while walking on the second longest beach in the world, Marina in Chennai, India, and he sent a beautiful picture. And finally this week, a shout-out to Sean Chio, who listens on long flights between Hong Kong and Tel Aviv. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find a transcript of this podcast and all my other Grammar Girl articles and podcasts at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.